Okay, guys, we're in Acts chapter 8. Now, I want you to think back for a moment. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, go back to Acts chapter 1. And what you're going to see is that we're, we're getting ready to enter into a new section of the book of, of, the book of Acts here. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said and, and if, you know, you, they were to wait and they would receive power and they would be witnesses unto him to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. Now, what we're going to see now is, is in this section that those next two parts there, Judea and Samaria, we're going to see that, they, that the witnessing goes out to those areas. We're going to see that today. One thing I want to make mention of you is this. We're going to talk about it today in the morning service. You and I can develop concepts about God, and a lot of times our concepts about God are, well, I hate to say it, we're wrong. Because we, we develop a, a concept about God where God is just kind of a nice, doesn't let anything bad happen to us, shouldn't let anything bad happen to us, and we, we kind of develop these wrong concepts. And when bad stuff does happen, uh, we get offended. We get angry. Uh, oh, through the years, I'll be honest with you, I've seen people quit coming to church. Because God didn't answer a prayer. Or God didn't uh, take care of this bad problem that happened. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And, and they get all bent out of shape. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because we're here in the book of Acts. We just spent two weeks studying the martyrdom of Stephen. Remember? Stephen was martyred. Okay. What I want you to see now is, is that that it doesn't end with just Stephen. There's actually going to be more of a problem now for the church. And it's going to be a really difficult problem, but we're going to see that God is sovereign in that. God uses the difficult situations to accomplish his purpose. Did you understand what I'm saying? He uses the difficult circumstances and problems to accomplish his purpose. I'll talk about it more as we go through the passage. So let's look first of all, we're going to see that there's persecution in Jerusalem. Look with me at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 8. Now Paul, now Saul was consenting to his death. That's talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, dragging every house, entering every house and dragging off all men and women, committing them to prison. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's the persecution. First of all, Luke introduced Saul as being part of those who killed Stephen. Remember, we saw that all the way back in chapter 7, that Saul was the one 
who held the garments of the people who were stoning Stephen, okay? So we see Saul, which we know as Paul, being introduced here, okay? He's introduced as being a part of those who killed Stephen. He tells his readers that Saul agreed with killing Stephen for blasphemy. So he's wanting to make a point here so that you understand the character of Saul. Saul is very much a zealous Jew, a religious Jew, who is antagonistic and hates the Christians because he thinks that they're blaspheming. And so he very much consented to and agreed with the death of Stephen. Do you understand? It had to be done. You ever felt that way sometimes when you heard about somebody, you know, you maybe weren't directly involved, but you agreed with whatever justice was was meted out against someone because you heard of what they did or what they believed? Yeah, this is typical. That's a human trait. Saul obviously has that trait here concerning uh, the killing of Stephen. Now, what we're going to see is, is that Stephen's death resulted in a great persecution. It's almost like it opened up the door to go after the Christians in Jerusalem, okay? So Stephen's death resulted in a great persecution that forced the church to be scattered. That forced the church to be scattered. I'll make a comment about that in a moment here. Because I think it's interesting. Force the church to be scattered. With the exception of the apostles, the church scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, I want you to think back to Acts 1.8, what Jesus said, where would they be witnesses to? Where did he say they would be witnesses to? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Okay, so, okay, we're going to talk about this here in a moment, all right? Luke records that devout men buried Stephen and mourned for him. So obviously there were Christian believers, men, who got his body and they mourned for him. They buried and mourned for him. But here's the problem. Saul brought chaos to the church as he hunted Christians down to imprison them. All right, now let's stop for a moment. Jesus told them before he ascended, you know, they were to wait for the promise, then they would receive power to be, witness, they, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, up to this point, from the time of chapter 2 up to chapter 7, where's the whole focus been? Where are they located? Jerusalem. And are they doing okay in Jerusalem up until this point? Up until this point, yeah, the apostles have been arrested a few times. But how, how's the church functioning there? Yeah, they're doing okay. Would you say they're comfortable? They're meeting in Solomon's porch every day. So they're meeting out in the open. People are respecting them. You kind of get where it's okay to be just where you're at, right? Now, do you read anywhere up to chapter 7 where they're going into Judea? No, they're just kind of focused in Jerusalem. Now, 
something changes. It's almost like God allows, okay, you got to listen to me, almost like God allows the heat to turn up to force them to do what? Yeah, to go out. Did you understand? And do what they were supposed to do. Do you understand? So is it possible that God may turn up the heat in our lives to force us to do the things that we need to do? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, but here's the problem. You ever notice, though, we're quick to blame. We, we don't even think it might be God. We're quick to say, well, look at what the devil's doing in my life. Look at the havoc. How do you know it's the devil? How do you know it's the devil? How do you not know that maybe God allowed it to force you out of your comfort zone? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we do get comfortable in our Christianity, don't we? We get comfortable in our lives, and sometimes God's got to turn the heat up to force us to do what he's calling us to do. Here, I'll tell you one thing. You ever get so comfortable you quit praying? You quit devoting your, 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 yourself to, to getting with God and, and, and spending time with him? Have you ever noticed that? What does it take to get you snapped out of that, situ- that plateau that you're in? What usually happens to get you back in focus where you need to be? Pain, trouble, hard times, right? Because where's the first place you're going when, if you're a Christian and you've got hard times? Yeah, you're going to talk to God, okay? You're going to talk to God. So what I want you to see here is we gotta, we got to really develop our concept of God a little bit different than what it is, that he uses hardship for a purpose in our life. Really? Okay, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. We're talking about Saul. Let's talk a few years later. He's Paul. He's now an apostle. He writes a letter to the Corinthians, a second letter. It's actually a third letter. The sec, what we know is the second, second Corinthians, second Corinthian letter. He, he says in chapter 12, there was, he, he couldn't really speak of it. It was given to him an abundance of revelation. He was taken to the third heaven. So he was taken literally, whether in a vision or spiritually, he was taken into the throne room of God. And he said he saw things that he couldn't legally talk about. He couldn't dare utter. But then you get to chapter, verse 7, and he says, unless because of the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep him humble. God allowed a thorn in his flesh. Now, the actual word there means is a torture instrument, a messenger of Satan. God allowed a, a demonic problem that was torturous to him, to happen in his life for a purpose. It tells you right there, verse 7, what the purpose is. To what? Keep him humble. Whoa. All right, so what? I've got some people like, really? Okay, so what are your thoughts? I mean, this is what God does for his servants what do you think when you hear that? Yeah, I, I, okay, that's a good answer, Bruce. Okay, 
Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, that's a good answer. Anybody else? Maybe you're like, well, you know, really? Would he do that? What are your thoughts? Because it almost doesn't doesn't sound like the, what I signed up for. Everything's going to be wonderful if you accept Jesus in your life. It doesn't sound like what you signed up for, right? First of all, I hope nobody told you that because that's not what the gospel is. Sign up for this and you'll be okay. You know, unless you're listening to Joel, okay? So, um, do, you, do you understand? So you have to wrestle with that sometimes. We're, we're going to talk about this more in depth in the morning service. because We're going to talk about John the Baptist sending a couple of messengers to Jesus to ask a question. And Jesus says an interesting statement. Let's go back to John, tell him what you see. He quotes Isaiah and he says, and blessed is he who's, who's, who does not, does not take offense at me. Like, why would he say that? Well, it's what he didn't say that John would take notice of. We'll talk about it in the morning service. But there, there, it's a hard concept of God, and you need to understand, God has our ultimate purpose in mind. So, okay, like I hear Christians all the time, they'll quote, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for the good to them who are called according to, to God, you know? And they'll claim it like some promise, like we're going to get, it's going to be rainbows out of this problem. God didn't tell you that it's going to be rainbows out of that problem. He said he's going to use the problem you're in for your ultimate good. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Your ultimate good, you, and, you have a definition of that, and God has a different definition. Because God's definition is based on his timetable. Our timetable is not God's timetable, is it? We want, my timetable is, because I'm from the instant generation, now. Give it to me now. What do you mean it's going to be two days late? I paid for Prime. Do you know what I'm saying? So God's timing is, as, as Peter would say, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And you're like, oh, you mean i got to wait a thousand years? He's thinking about our ultimate good for eternity, molding us into the person he wants us to be. So he uses difficulties for a purpose. So God's using this difficulty here for a purpose. What do you think the purpose is, folks? With the church in Jerusalem. What do you think the purpose is? Yeah, to scatter them so that they would spread the gospel. And that's what we're going to see the rest of our time this morning. We're going to see them go into Judea and Samaria. And begin to, because they're going to naturally, what? Share the gospel. Tell people about Jesus, okay? Tell people about Jesus. So, we're going to notice now. Look with me at verses 4 through 13. We're going to see the gospel in Samaria. All right, first of all, did the Jews accept the Samaritans? Why? They saw them as half-breeds, that's right, and they saw them as aliens. 
not worshiping the true God, okay? So did they like the Samaritans? No, not at all. Okay, so let's look at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But a certain man named Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in that city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they gave heed, all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached these things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, the scattered church spread the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they went. All right, don't don't read into that. I don't want you reading into it that they went on every street corner and preached. I want you to read into it this, that they shared the gospel naturally. If Jesus is impacting your life, you're going to naturally, as you interact with people, share what you know, right? You're going to, as conversation comes up, bring up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Now, there are some like Philip who will go out and proclaim, and we're seeing that here as well. In fact, we see that in verses 5 through 8. So Philip was one of those chosen with Stephen to administer the the food tables. Okay, so remember Philip, because he was one of those who were chosen in Acts chapter 6, I believe, and for um, the purpose of distributing food. He went to Samaria and preached the gospel which he supported with great miracles. So he preached the gospel, but he also showed the power of God through great miracles. Now, a multitude of Samaritans responded as they heard the teaching and saw the miracles. So a multitude of Samaritans responded. I mean, think about it. It says here very clearly that Demons are being cast out. The lame are being made to walk again. So he is astounding. He's doing the kind of things that Jesus did, right? He's proclaiming the message of Jesus. This is what the apostles did back then. This is what the leaders did. And uh, people saw this, and they were responding and turning to Christ. Because of Philip's ministry and the response, there was great joy in the city. I think that's interesting. When people are responding to the gospel, there's a joy that comes into their life. Okay? There's a joy. 
Now, there's a guy we meet here called Simon the Sorcerer, okay? Simon the Sorcerer. Simon was a well-known sorcerer who claimed to be great. So in Samaria, there was this sorcerer whose name was Simon, and he claimed to be great. He had great influence with the people as as he claimed to have a great power from God. In fact, if you notice what the Scripture says there, that from the least to the greatest... So every aspect of Samaritan society thought this guy was great. From the least, that's the most commoner, to the greatest. That'd be probably somebody who's in leadership or in, 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 in royalty or whatever, thought this guy was great. They thought he had a great power from God. The people were amazed with Simon's sorcery for a long time. So for a long time... They were amazed at the stuff this guy could do. They were amazed until Philip showed up, though. Do you realize that? They were amazed until Philip showed up. Here's what I want you to see. However, they responded to Philip's ministry and were baptized. They responded to Philip's ministry and were baptized. After believing the gospel and being baptized, Simon continued with Philip. So Simon even responds. And Simon is baptized. And with that, he follows Philip. He's kind of like, becomes a disciple of Philip because of he's amazed at the things that Philip's able to do. Because let, let's just stop for a moment. Making the lame walk, I can almost guarantee you Simon couldn't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, there's the demon possession thing. Well, there, they had people who were exorcists back then. Maybe Simon could have done that. But making people walk? Did you understand what I'm saying? That is amazing. Because probably sorcery back then, there was a lot of charlatism that was going on, a lot of gimmickry. In fact, that happens today, except it happens today in Christian circles. Like extending people's legs. Have you really, I mean, have you heard of the people who can extend people's legs? They don't extend people's legs. They just know how to move the shoe on their foot to make it look like their leg grew. Do you you understand what I'm saying? It's all charlatism. This is basically Simon was involved in the same thing, but he's with a man of God who's doing things through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's amazed at that. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's amazed at that. So, But there's a problem now. Here's the problem. Remember how I told you that the Jews felt about the Samaritans? Okay? Now, I want you to understand, up until this point, up until chapter 8, the, Jew, the church is primarily made of who? In fact, the whole church is made of who? Jews. Okay? What did Jews think about people who were non-Jews? 
They were prejudiced. Would they have even, they, they wouldn't have even considered reaching a non-Jew unless he became a proselyte. Do you understand? Now they're being forced to really reach out beyond their comfort zone. Okay? In fact, I, I would say if you talk about the concept of God, God forces us to reach out beyond our comfort zone. Have you ever thought saw that in your life? I know there's a lot of times when I sense God's telling me to do something, and I just flat out say to him, I don't want to do it. I don't, want, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. It's actually a lot of t- I know sometimes it's God because it's usually the thing that I don't want to do. Have you noticed that in your life? That a lot of times you, you know what you need to do, but it's not what you want to do, and you can tell, yeah, it's God because he's telling me to do the thing I don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? So here's what happens. Word gets back to Jerusalem that something's going on in Samaria. So notice with me verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, whom when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he has fallen upon none of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they raised... And, and they laid hands on them, and, he, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the money, saying, Give this power, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart, that, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in as many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, so let's, let's take a look here. After hearing the report from Samaria, the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John. Why do you think they sent Peter and John? Why do you think they sent Peter and John? Check it out. Yes, and you're going to see that especially when the Gentiles, Cornelius, comes. And even though it's Peter who's there when Cornelius comes to the Lord, they send a delegation, and this time they're really upset. Okay? It's one thing for the Jews because they're considered half-breeds. I mean, for the Samaritans because they're half-breeds. So they're checking it out. So the apostles, when they get there, obviously find that this is genuine. The apostles prayed that the Samaritan believers would receive the Holy Spirit. Because up until this point, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Okay? They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment. There's some speculation among scholars that the reason why it hasn't happened yet is because 
They needed the apostles there to validate that the Spirit of God had come among the Samaritans. Do you understand what I'm saying? It didn't happen under Philip's ministry. It happened when Peter and John, two of the apostles, were there. Now, we get the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus now, the, the instant we accept him. We don't need the apostles here because, first of all, they're not here anymore. Okay? But in this instance, it's all part of the validation process of what's going on here. Okay? So Simon sees this happening, and he wanted to pay for the ability to impart the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty bold, isn't it? He wants now to pay for this ability. Why do you think he wants to do that? Well, he was a big man before, right? So he wants to continue to have his bigness among the people by having this ability. He thinks this is some sort of supernatural ability that they could sell to him. Now, Peter, recognizing Simon's greed, harshly rebuked him and called him to repentance. So when you read this, you've got to kind of read it with, not like I just read it, but look at what he says there. Your money perish with you. You can almost see, isn't that how Peter would say it when you know Peter's personality? I mean, he's probably not very kind about it. He's a fisherman. Do you think he's just kind of letting them have it, right? All right? He's kind of letting them have it there. Now, here's where you and I need to grasp something. The phrase, you have no part, implies that Simon was not a true believer. All right, let's stop for a moment. Anybody got a difficulty with that? Because we just read. Okay, Bruce does. All right. Why, Bruce? Because it just says a few verses before that they Okay, he believed. All right. What did you say, Brad? And was baptized. And was baptized. Okay. But the, but the phrase here it has an implication that Peter is saying he has no part. No, he's not a believer. That's something we're going to have to wrestle with. Okay? Because is it possible for somebody to pray a prayer, say they're saved, and not be saved? And even be baptized? Okay? This is probably what's going on here. Because you can believe what's being said, but not necessarily internalize it. Because Peter goes on and describes his heart. If you look at the rest of the passage, he describes where his heart is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so his heart, I, I don't believe Simon was a believer. In fact, church history will go on and tell you he actually wasn't and became an, a main antagonist towards the church. So why, what am I pointing out here? I want you to understand it says one part. It seems like, oh, he must be a believer. But the next part, he's, Peter's very clearly saying what? You have no part. No part. Now, one thing I want you to understand is the text does not say that he received the Holy Spirit. He's witnessing them imparting the Holy Spirit to others. It does not say that he received the Holy Spirit himself. Okay? Because here's what I'm going to say to you. If you receive the Holy Spirit, are you saved? Okay, you should say yes. Why? Because Ephesians very clearly says that the Holy Spirit is our seal 
unto the day of redemption. And it also says he is our guarantee, okay? Guaranteeing us that we have a part in salvation. The text does not say that Simon received the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? He's witnessing it because you have to understand there's a multitude who are there. And immediately what comes out of his mouth is, can I have this ability? Can you pay me this? Can I pay for it? Okay, so it's, it's, the implication of the text is he's not a believer. All right, let's go on. Simon expresses remorse and concern for his what? Well-being. Now, I want you to understand something about biblical books. Not everything that happened is written. Only what we need to know. And so Peter, what we see here, is telling him something, but it's possible that Peter may have told him something else as well that's not written here, because Simon's very concerned about his what? His own self, his body. Don't let these things happen to me, okay? Pray that it doesn't happen to me. So then we come to verse 25. Okay, Simon expresses remorse and concern for his well-being. Then verse 25 Returning to Jerusalem, the apostles preached the gospel in many of the Samaritan villages. All right, stop for a moment. Anything strike you as odd about this right here? Anything strike you as odd? Okay, you're exactly right, Bruce. Because you hear they went to Samaria, to the capital, to check what's going on. But it doesn't say anything about them preaching on the way up. It's after they get there and see that God is saving the Samaritans that they decide on their way back to Jerusalem, they're going to start doing what on the way back? Preaching in the Samaritan villages. I think that's pretty interesting, isn't it? It says a lot about where they're at with the things that they're struggling with. And let's just stop for a moment. This makes a good point, and we'll end with this. This isn't reflecting good on the uh, church in Jerusalem, is it? Because they obviously have some kind of problem, don't they? What's the problem? Prejudice. Do did, did you see what I'm saying? So what, what does that, what can that tell us? The church ain't perfect. People in the church ain't perfect. Do you know what I'm saying? And God has to bring things into our life to get us to what? Move to do what we have to do. All right. 